Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to What a Load of Cobblers, Friday Night Lights, the Northampton Town Audio Show. I'm Tom Reed, and in a week where referee Darren Drysdale squared up to the Ipswich players, I'm joined by three guys not backwards in coming forwards with their opinions. It's Andy Bodfish, Martin Maloney, and James Avril. How are you doing, guys? You okay? Yeah, all good. good. All good. Good stuff, Andy. Did you see that Darren Drysdale incident? I thought I found it quite comical, actually. It did. Um, yes, it was quite comical, quite unusual. He's been charged with improper conduct, hasn't he, by the FA? He got a couple of weeks to respond, yeah. which I think is a shame. Um, the player involved has turned around and said, look, you know, it's just one of those things. I wasn't particularly offended. Um, the referee himself has apologised and said I shouldn't have lost my composure. And that should be the end of it, really. I mean, obviously, it's gone viral, hasn't it? Because everything's slightly out of the ordinary um, that can be leveraged does these days um but i think it's a total storm in a teacup and i think it's a shame that um he's been taken off the weekend's match because you just delay it until he comes back when there's an even bigger spotlight on it in my view so yes it was it was quite amusing um he did momentarily um lose his composure but i mean not any you know um, fist thrown or anything it was just, mm. just a bit gnarly, as Jamie Oliver might say, and just get over it. Everyone's over it already, apart from the FA, it seems. Silly. Yeah, I just I just felt that it was a bit of a load of fuss about nothing. In fact, I'm sort of quite um, pro-referees just standing up for themselves. I reckon, do you know, like, Martin, do you know, in, you, you're a fan of American sports. Do you know, in ice hockey, you're always waiting for a scrap to break out off the uh, off the puck, so to speak. I reckon that should be a feature. Just let, let players and... Um, Referees, just duke it out. What do you reckon, Martin? Well, you, <laughs> you can kind of almost go to two logical extremes, can't you? It's either, you know, probably my preference would be there's not much I'd say that egg chasing's got over over football, but I kind of like the fact that only one person talks to the referee and they accept the decisions. Yeah. Or we go free for all. <laughs> and it's, you know, there's, yeah. there's, there's arguments for both. I mean, I was, I mean, I read, I, I looked back, I was chatting to me, me colleague who's off this week uh, about this dry style thing, because Alan Judge is ex Knox County, who my mate supports. And um, I said, I, said I, was, I, I mentioned it, and I just looked, and, and I think what I'd written in our little WhatsApp chat was, so I'm not sure, 
But I think the ref just tried to stick the nuts on the Ipswich player that dived. <laughs> and it was sort of, I think I just saw what I saw. But there was, you know, players behave obnoxiously. I'd love to see referees be strict. And I'd love to see us get, at least in that one aspect, get a bit closer to rugby where refs make decisions, refs will make mistakes. The game's better when we just get when we just get on with it. James, are you for um, referees being mic'd up like in rugby? It just seems like there'll be a transition period where you'd get all sorts of swear words on there, but eventually maybe it would cut down on the dissent. I think they, they tried that, didn't they? Was it Lee Dixon uh, um, was previously yeah. caught on on camera, wasn't he? Uh, I, I think uh, in an ideal world, yes, it would be great. But I think realistically, um, <laughs> we know footballers <laughs> are, uh, are pretty passionate in, in the heat of the moment, aren't they? And can, can spout off. Um, I don't think it I'd like I think ideally it, w- it would it would be great to have it. I just can't see it in, in practicality actually coming off. But I think it's interesting, isn't it? Because there's that clip of Pierre Luigi Colina kind of famously um, kind of going head to head with with that player who was you know, <laughs> giving him giving him chip. And 20 years ago, you know, he, he's, he's considered the best referee in the world. And it's almost kind of like an indication of how of how incrementally more sanitized i guess the game has become because yeah. i think 20 years ago you know that's that's a nothing incident and uh, i think it, i think it comes down to the fact that you know players now get sent off for kind of moving their heads and i think it's a nonsense rule because if the idea is to prevent it from happening it's clearly not worked because players and now even referees are doing it so mm-hmm. let's just knock that one on the head let's say, save red cards for you know bad challenges and things that properly warrant it not not to just be kind of, oh, we need to be seen to be stamping down this. It doesn't work. Football is a heat of the moment game. People yep. occasionally lose their calls. So I think it's just nonsense, the kind of rule that that is now a red card in the first place. And if that rule wasn't in place, we wouldn't be talking about the fact that the referee had done it. Yeah, that's a good point. And I sort of saw it happen and I was just like, oh, it's a bit of a you know flash in the pan. But people were still going on about it the next day and there was all sorts of tweets flying around and stuff. I was just thinking... Come on, it's the, the game's so boring at the moment in lockdown. It's just actually quite entertaining. <laughs> but I guess that gets takes us on to the result itself, Apes, which I just found it quite strange actually, and nice in a way that it was a nil-nil draw. We hadn't scored again for God knows how many minutes. I'm just running out. We have to get a calculator out. But we felt slightly positive after the game about the performance that Brady had instilled in the players. Andy, I'm not sure if you watched it, but. Do you sense a bit slightly more of a togetherness in the camp? Yeah, I do. Um, like I say, others are better qualified because I didn't see the, the game the other yeah. night. Um, and I mean, there were there were positive signs before <laughs> before um, the team reverted to type um, against Burton as well. Um, but I mean, a lot's been made on, on the chat, hasn't it, about um, the way Brady talks and quite measured in what he says and thinks about his next sentence and certainly talking about the attitude of the, um, I have to read between the lines with a lot of what he says, but uh, the, the attitude of the players and the fact that they'd almost had, um, I don't know, any sort of sense of enjoyment um, squeezed out of them towards the end of the curl reign. Um, and I, I just go by what, um, a few of you guys said, you know, regarding the performance the other night, um, things are definitely, definitely looking up, I think. But just give us a goal. The goal scoring thing is getting 
worrying now because you can play as well as you want and there were some really nice movements and stuff and a lot of interconnectivity between the team but when it gets up front we're just like whoa what's going to happen and <laughs> I'm a big fan of Chuck Romico I've said before me and James are and he just seems to be I wouldn't say frozen out but he's not getting a chance and it's it's sort of like I know there's I think a couple of spaces or at least one space in the squad bring a striker in but I looked at some of the forwards available as free transfers and it's it's very ropey the the choice out there um martin we've talked a little bit before about brady talking a lot of sense and he's talked to, today about the structure which i'm really keen on is he impress you and did that performance impress you martin massively massively i mean when he talked about the psycho not the psychology maybe a, a cliched word talk about players mental states he talked on Saturday about, you know, players tended to berate each other rather than encourage after they'd missed or done something wrong. And then he really, really got into it on um, on Tuesday and talked about, you know, he, he, he emphasised intelligence as if people had just been put into boxes of you do this, you do this, you know, there's a, there's a structure, you do this, that's your role and nothing else. And he said, look, yeah. these are intelligent guys. They can they can play football. And I'm almost freeing him up to do it. And I think he was not being too so nuanced that you'd have to be really clever to read between the lines, but without being very negative about certain aspects of the last regime and certainly how it's gone this year, he was sort of saying read between the lines, but I'll give you some big arrow some big arrows pointing to where between the lines are a bit like those German fans with the arrows pointing towards the goal. <laughs> soon and then I think the, th the thing that really I think if I wasn't excited enough about you know what he might offer if he takes on the role full-time or, or as a bigger role at the club over maybe a different manager was when I talked about Mark Marshall and it was from the heart it was you know we, he'd already said about the pitch and again he was really clear that he did not like what was going on before but yeah. when he said I was a wide man if I was a fan that's who I want to see on the pitch. That's mm. who I'll get up off my seat to watch. Yeah. And I think, you know, it, while and I was a big fan of Curl Walk because it, it went well, you know, we had a structure and it worked, but we, we lacked this season, I think, the adaptability or an ability to, to change. But I think what, what come, come from Brady was just, just joy. Just, I want to see football played. I want to do it right. But a bloke at the club who's got that enthusiasm is getting a bit of joy out of the players and getting them wanting to play again it's probably our best shot yeah I think um, I'm going to go to James on this James what's your take on Brady for the, the job full time he's not been totally committal in his responses when you know suggestion that he, he might take it on full time and he has a variety of roles in football and out of football he's a busy guy and stuff and there's obviously a high pressure when you take the manager's job. I'll, I'll give you a couple of questions, James. One, do you reckon that, for instance, he should maybe be given the job until the summer? And two, do you think it's sensible for a guy who's got a long-term job in the youth system to to take the, the manager's job? Um, so question one, should he be given to the end of the season? It's difficult to comment on that until you know the quality of the candidates you've had apply for yeah. the job in yeah. theory i don't in theory I, I think a lot of fans uh 
are in favour of it. I'd certainly say the performance levels have, have drastically improved in, in the last couple of games with the kind of exception of, you know, uh, 10 or 15 minutes of that Burton game. I thought we were comfortably the better side against Ipswich and second half we, we kind of competed. Um, so clearly he's got a, an increased level of performance out of the players. The reality is he's working with the constraints that they're incredibly low on confidence and they're struggling to score goals at the moment. So yeah. um, I think that's, that's got to be taken into, into consideration that it is going to take a while to turn, turn these players around. And realistically, uh, there's a good argument to say that he is probably our best shout at doing that. Uh, mm. in that he knows the players, uh, he'll have kind of relationships with them and he'll have seen them, uh, you know, you know, playing every week uh, on, on the training ground. So I, I think that, you know, uh, I, I certainly think that the choice seems quite a popular one amongst fans. But, you know, uh, until you kind of know who who's applied uh, for, for kind of people who are out of jobs at the moment, it's, it's difficult to say. But in, in principle, I, I wouldn't have a problem with it because I think... Um, I think realistically, <laughs> we're not going to be able to spend big, buck, big bucks on signing yeah. new players. So get what you can out of the players we've got now and maybe take a punt on a couple of unattached players. And uh, I don't see any reason why Brady couldn't do that. I've talked a little bit or quite a lot about this sort of technical director role and Brady's been talking today about really wanting to be able to build a philosophy, you know, it's another abstract term, throughout the football club and to build structure. Would he, you know, be better off in that sort of technical director role where he's not in the firing line, really, and he can oversee things rather than perhaps taking a a manager's role, which is a bit febrile and basically liable to be sacked at some point? Is he too much of an asset to the football club to put him in the firing line? Well, I I don't think there's any issue... In, in that if he took on the job and wasn't successful, I think he would, we'd be stupid to just let him go. Well, I think, you know, that there should be a caveat if we're saying, right, you're here to the end of the season, but even if we don't offer you the, the, the gig full time, we obviously still want you as, as part of the club because he, he does have a, a lot to offer. Um, mm-hmm. So oh, it's, it's a tough one, isn't it? It's, it's whether he wants that crack at, at league management, which you probably argue... You know, he's he's been out of management. When did he manage Brackley? Was it 2015? He kind of left that job. So he's not been a manager for, for six years and the opportunity is probably not going to come up again anytime soon, you, you wouldn't think, at a football league club. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's whether he wants that opportunity or not. But he, he's a fantastic asset to the football club and we need to find the best way to utilise him. And I think ultimately it's going to be up to him as to whether he sees his himself in that manager's role or whether he thinks he's more suited to a, a technical role. I remember Alan Neil uh, at the kind of op- opening uh, supporters trust forum where I think I asked kind of Alan what it was like being a number two. He, he preferred being a number two. Um, you know, he, he didn't particularly enjoy being a manager and he was still a fantastic asset to the club without being, you know, the head coach. So uh, absolutely mm. there's, there's a, there's a, good place for John Brady and I think it's probably going to be up to him to decide where he sees himself really mm, yeah I'd agree with a lot of I'd that I'd be tempted if I was him I'd be tempted to to give it a crack knowing full well that yeah. I'm rated by the club anyway and even if it doesn't go well enough there's still a place for me at the football club so yeah that's, that's, that's true. gonna be his choice I, I guess think... the only other side of it is although we say 
it's fine if he doesn't do well putting back in the under 18s or in a technical role or whatever. I just think sometimes if you've been sort of like, if you've maybe failed at the manager's job, it might slightly sour or a relationship. Yeah, but Samo's you know, come back, hasn't he? You know, Samo yeah. was the manager of the club 10 years ago. And mm. if you've got an affinity to that club, as we know Samo has, and I think John Brady will have now after being here for a while, I don't think yeah. that, that will necessarily be the case. You know, it might be for, for people who don't have an affinity with that club, but these guys yeah. are kind of part of the fabric, aren't they? Yeah, and I think um, Samo is very, he's very selfless in a way because he could probably be quite rightly annoyed to an extent with the way he was fired by Cardoza and, you know, being a youth team manager, he might think, well, I'm probably one of the most, you know, what's the word, qualified and experienced out of the three of this uh, little uh, Brady bunch at the moment, but he's that sort of character that he wouldn't let it bother him too much. Um, the only other slight counterpoint to what we said, and I'm a big Brady fan and I've been pushing him for a while. I'm just sort of playing devil's advocate with myself to an extent, but um, is the way he's talking and the stuff he's doing, is that the basic basics of football that we should expect anyway? So playing <laughs> to feet and talking sensibly about a little bit of structure. Is it, is that just a very basic element? And maybe there might be someone out there that will come in with more experience and, you know, buy into that ethos too that can do the job. But we'll see, I guess, with the candidates and obviously the board will make the decision based on best person for the job. But I mean, what I will say, well, Tom, is uh, you, yeah. you talk about, obviously, it was a refreshing interview, but I think it's always the case when a manager is relieved of his duties and the new guy comes in, everyone yeah. immediately thinks, oh, it's a breath of fresh air hearing this yeah. because the new manager doesn't, doesn't have to defend his record, you know, his own record. And yeah. um, it, 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 they can say it how it is because we're in a poor state of affairs usually if we've got rid of a manager. So I remember the exact same thing when Keith came in, you know, people saying, oh, it's breath of breath of fresh air in, hearing what he's got to say. It's always going to be the case when you get a new manager. But it, I, I, I do agree. He, he did he did raise some very interesting points, particularly to do with the pitch as well, I thought. Yeah, and he was the first person, I think, probably to do with the whole club that's sort of come out and said it's... I'd be polite. It's not ideal what's what's happened. And Paul Knowles is a very good groundsman. And realistically, he wouldn't want that pitch in that state. And he would do his damnedest to get it back to what it was because it was actually a good surface. But um, yeah, let's move on from Mr. Brady for now. He's doing a very good job and hopefully continues at Milton Keynes on Saturday. Okay, then time for another one of our boot room special interviews with ex-Cobblers players. It's lovely to be joined by Championship Manager 97-98 legend, Tom Youngs, who played for Northampton between 2003 and 2005 and had a good spell at Cambridge before that. How are you doing, Tom? You okay? Yeah, I'm, I'm good, thanks. Yeah. Yeah, it's good to talk to you. I've been delving back into your career and stuff, and it, it must be sort of nice for you sometimes to talk about your football career. Does it feel a bit like a lifetime ago now? Yeah, it feels quite a while ago now. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with that. But you um, you packed quite a lot into your career and you played for some, some good clubs at a, a good level. I think the best way to start is to talk about your youth career in football. And okay. is it right that, you know, you were actually, you were being monitored, weren't you, by the England setup and the uh, training camps at Lillishaw, is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's definitely right. Um, that was f- from uh, quite an early age when I broke through at Cambridge and... Um, yeah, I was just always on their program. I used to go away for training camps and things at um, various different universities in the area. And then ultimately it sort of culminated in sort of like the England trial process for the under 15s. And um, I didn't quite get all the way, but um, 
you know, it was all part of, you know, a good good grounding in the game, really. Sure, and some some good players, you know, came through that and were involved with those trials, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, no, it was good. I mean, because the team my year um, had, like, John Curtis was the captain and they had Michael Branch uh, up front and a few other players and, uh, like, Mark Gower and people. But um, and that they, I think they sort of broke all records. I think they won every game, and they and they did very well. And then the year after was sort of Michael Owen, and then I think they rewrote all the records again. And uh, he he was quite special, obviously. Yeah, definitely. But it just shows that you know you were being monitored at that level. You were showing quite a lot of talent at a young age. Um, were you at Cambridge United by this point, or were you just sort of like just doing your own thing? Yeah, no, I was at Cambridge right, right, right from the start. Really, I just turned ten when I first was on the books at Cambridge. So, so yeah, I was, I was there the whole time. Looking at Cambridge at the time, you had some good years there, and there was a promotion season, sort of a bit up and down, a bit like Northampton, I guess. But some good players throughout the squad at Cambridge during your time. Did you play with um, Carlo Corazin, or was that before your time? Because he played for Northampton as well. Yeah, no, he, he. I think he'd already gone to Northampton by that stage. Um, I, I watched Carlo play when I was about 13, 14, but um, yeah, but I, ne- I never played with him. No, no, but he was um, he was a good striker. I remember, remember him playing for both clubs. He was yeah, and two. But you you had people like um, Martin Butler, I think, uh, just you know a, a reliable sort of player. Trevor Benjamin was up front as well for a time. Another Championship manager legend. So you had some, you know, you had some goal scorers around you. Yeah, we had we had some good players. I mean, Trev, I I came, I was in the youth team with Trev, um, and he obviously did very well when he got into the first team. But was uh, that was who I first played with when I first broke into the first team? I played up front with Butts, um, yeah. but then I didn't get my sort of more more of a break at Cambridge until till he left, because then it obviously left a hole, and um, I managed to sort of fill it. Sort of, yeah. Yeah, and you started to score some goals it wasn't perhaps a 30 goal a season sort of um time but you i think you scored uh you know you were top scorer for the club in 2001 and 2002 you think you got 15 and 11 that might not be completely accurate but you were scoring goals so we're talking about cambridge united and you've come through the ranks there and your local club and it just seems the sort of place where you I don't know if you hope to end your career there but a place that you'd stay for slightly longer how do you end up coming to Northampton how does that move come about um well Cambridge at the time it, it was kind of only going in one direction unfortunately and when we got relegated we had sort of we had a very good team to try to get back up and we had a a decent effort at it so you know we were third at Christmas and we were doing quite well but you know, we had no as as you probably know we had no resources at Cambridge so mm. we were very much the bare bones so injuries and things like that really affected us and um, then yeah I, I could only really see sort of one trajectory for Cambridge and obviously the way it played out after I left you know they were in non-league for 10 years so Mm. Um, it was kind of that was the way it was going to go and um, to be honest though I mean I say all that but I would have stayed at Cambridge at that time um, if if I'd been happy with you know what how the board treated me and how the how the offers came about in terms of you know a new contract and stuff so 
I I would have I would have happily stayed because I loved it at Cambridge and I was I was really comfortable there. But I, you know, it was it probably was time to move on with the way that everything was happening. Mm. And it wasn't like a million miles away to Northampton. Um, you were signed by Martin Wilkinson, who, mm-hmm. when we mentioned Martin, you know, with all due respect to Northampton fans, he's not. Um, you know, people don't remember him too much because he wasn't at the club for too long, and he did sign quite a lot of players, which we'll go on to in a minute. Was known yeah. maybe as a little bit more of a scout than a manager, but yeah. how did you find it, sort of moving to Northampton, trying to settle in there? Um, yeah, it was re- it was really strange because obviously all I'd ever known was Cambridge, um, and it, like you said, it just happened to be that at that time when I was leaving Cambridge. Northampton was the place that, you know, it seemed to be going places. They had a lot of money, particularly at the lower levels, and they were splashing the cash on lots of players. So yeah. it just seemed it seemed a good move. It seemed somewhere that, you know, they had plans, big plans for the future where, you know, we could hopefully get promoted and then even get promoted again and, and all that kind of thing. Um, obviously, that's not how it panned out in the end, but they certainly did the first bit. They certainly bought a lot of players. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. I'm just sort of yeah. quite interested in when you're having a discussion with a manager, does a manager go as far to say that, you know, you're going to be my, my first choice striker, you know, you're going to be in, definitely in my plans to, to start and stuff. And, you know, does that happen or do they just sort of give you a general idea that you're, you know, obviously wanted? Um, yeah, I guess so. I mean, to be honest, like I say, I wasn't... I, it wasn't like I was coming for like my dream move or anything. Um, but Northampton were the people who could put the money on the table at that time. Um, yeah. I was obviously, I was coming to the end of my contract, but I was still only 23. So anybody that wanted to get me in would have had to have paid money for me anyway. Yeah. And, um, and Cambridge wanted to obviously try to get as much money in as they could. And uh, Northampton, like I say, were one of the teams that, had money in certainly in the lower divisions at the time um and and any of the other teams that came in they probably they couldn't put up the same kind of money so it mm. was it was you know northampton was definitely the best option and like i said i mean at the time it seemed a, a very future thinking kind of place to, to go to and I thought that they had with with sort of everything that they were putting in place with the stadium and everything I thought you know I think that it will be a good good place to go to yeah yeah it, it, I think you're right at the time there was a little bit of buzz around it the stadium was fairly new and there was a few signings coming in um is it right that when you signed for Northampton the other strikers at the club or soon to come in were um, Paul McGregor, the, the now rock star, I'm sure he was around at that point. A guy called Darren Stamp. Yeah, right? Stampy was there. Stampy was there, yeah. Yeah, um, Steve Morrison, he went on to a very good career, but he was only a young guy at the time. Yeah. And Marco Gabbiadini, is that right? Gab, yeah, when I first turned up, I mean, when they signed me on deadline day, I mean, I knew that big changes were going to happen in the summer. But when I yeah. got here, I mean, Paul McGregor was still here, although in name only, really, he, was, he wasn't really featuring. Yeah. Um, Stevie Morrison, he introduced me on to everybody on my first day. He was sort of, he took me around the ground 
Bay. I think he was like 18 and he'd barely played a first team game if he if he'd even played one yet. Yeah. Um, and then Gabbers. Yeah, I mean, I knew Gabbers quite well from having played against him. And I ended up playing a couple of games with him towards the end of that season. Um, but uh, but then obviously all, all the different all the loads of different players came in quite quickly after that, you know, in the summer. Yeah, because you it was a difficult time to join because I think we got relegated that season when you came in. Yeah. Um, Martin Wilkinson gets sacked and Colin Calderwood was appointed. Yeah. Obviously a new manager always has new ideas, that's the way it happens. And when I look at the sort of incomings around that time after you came in or just around the same time. So Mark Richards came in, he went on to yeah. he's still at the club now as a coach, but uh, Derek Asamara, I think, was around there at the time. He was still there, yeah. Richard Walker, I think, came in. Walks came in on loan from, uh, from, uh, with with Colin because Colin knew him quite well from from Villa. So yeah, he came in towards that, I think it was Christmas that year. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Martin Smith, I think. Very yeah, good. Smudge Smudge was there. I mean, he was one of the big signings. He. He was a fantastic player, Smudge. Yeah, he was a really good player. Yeah, he's very still very well regarded at Sunderland even now, his, his previous club. Laurie Dudfield. This, I'm just reeling off all these people. This is all yeah. you know, potentially or realistically competition for you. And then, strangely enough, John Taylor, who was at Cambridge, wasn't he? Yeah, he was my manager at Cambridge and obviously my teammate as well. He only, I mean, he came in right towards the end. Um, of that season um, and he played in the playoffs I think um, but yeah that was strange I mean I, I I mean I didn't really I wasn't really thinking about all these players coming in as competition per se I mean yeah. I was I was still obviously struggling I had injuries that were I couldn't train for you know months I mean really I I think I had one game at the start of that season at Portsmouth in the League Cup, but um, but beyond that, I mean, I had pretty much eight months where I couldn't train or play. So that's that's the kind of frustrating thing because you never really get established. I mean, going from a place where you're so established when I'd been at Cambridge since the age of ten till twenty three, yeah, and then you come to Northampton, and you really want to hit the ground running and show people what you can do and. I had like four games, badly hurt my ankle and then came back pre-season and then my knee started playing up and I literally, I mean, I didn't play a game until sort of like the next March. So, yeah, I just, yeah, you felt you felt like you missed the boat, really. I guess it's quite difficult because when, when you're at Cambridge, you're a little bit of a name or at least people in the back offices, they everyone knows you and... They will perhaps have a little bit of um, patience with you with an injury. You know, we know what Tom Youngs can do, but when you're at Northampton and you're a whole different setup, yeah. you know, you're not really a na- name anymore, particularly in that level. And it's just it's difficult, especially when you're hoping with a new manager to try and impress, as most players do. You just yeah. can't get on that pitch for so long. So it's very difficult. No, it was awful because I mean, Colin. I mean, I got on so well with Colin. I really, really liked him as a as a coach and a manager. Yeah. But but I mean when he came in I was on the treatment table and then I was about another six months before he could see me play properly or five months maybe. So 
you know, he's going to have to make plans without me. So, and it's not even like he can see me and write me off or the, or, you know, see me and like me or anything. He's only ever heard about me really. So, you know, no one can go on what they've heard. They have to see it in action. And, um, obviously I wasn't in action for, you know, another fair few months. So, yeah, so how did it, it go difficult. after that when when you you started getting a little bit of fitness back how how did it come to you sort of leaving the club um well sort of really i i came back towards the end of that season when um we ended up in the playoffs and lost on penalties to mansfield yeah i um I, I probably only played about three three games maybe or two two or three games and and i got i got injured again which obviously normally happens when you come back from a long-term injury, you, you're going to likely to pick up other things. So yeah. it was kind of like a write-off that season. And then I came back in the summer and was hoping for obviously a big push. Um, and Colin, I mean, I have to be honest with you, you know, he, he gave me a couple of little opportunities and I, I just didn't take them, unfortunately. You know, he'd brought in another, he'd brought in Scott McLeish, who, I mean, I got on really well with Scott. I loved him. He was a great, great striker, great finisher. Yeah. Um, and I, but I only got to play a couple of games with him, really. Um, and the games, you know, I remember we, he, he picked me at Darlington and I had a really good game. And the keeper made a couple of good saves. And then last kick of the game, I should have scored to, to win us the game. And I put it like about an inch over the bar or clipped the top of the bar. And then there was Southampton in the League Cup uh, the next week where I had a sort of a sort of semi one-on-one and uh, the defender got back and it, again, it just went over the bar and it was another mm-hmm. really good chance. I mean, I, I had the few chance, the few opportunities that I had, I always had, goal goal scoring chances but i just i just didn't i didn't make it count i didn't i didn't score and um that's you know that's what you have to do you have to provide end products so you have to provide assists you have to provide goals and um it just it just didn't happen for me unfortunately and then so you know colin no matter how supportive he was and i i thought he liked me but i didn't i didn't produce for him so that's that's sort of the way it played out, really. Mm, fine margins in football, especially at that sort of level, it's always been the case. I enjoyed my time at Northampton, apart from the fact that I could never get on the pitch because I was yeah. constant, constantly injured. But we had a we had a good we had a good time there. I mean, I got on really well with Josh and Chris Wilmot. I still stay in touch. I still stay in touch with him. And um, yeah, David Rowson, I used to get on really well with. So yeah, we had yeah we had we had a good we had a good sort of squad, a good dressing room, um, and then obviously I think it was the year after I left they did eventually manage to win the win the league and and go up. So that was um, yeah it was nice for that to obviously finally happen. Um, but uh, like I said, like we said earlier, we just it didn't it didn't continue the way it was was hoped really. Mm. That's probably a good place to wrap up. But before we wrap up, I want to talk to you about your legendary status on Championship Manager. Okay. Because it is funny because I know you actually used to play the game yourself, and I used mm. to play the game 
um, 97, 98 was my favourite version. I thought that was brilliant. And yeah. often used to sign you up front. Mr. Versatile, forward, yeah. right, left, centre. Must have been yeah. funny for you just to be so good on that game. Like, just like, great. Oh, it was it was amazing. I mean, just like me and my best my best mate James, we used to play. I mean, firstly, we used to play Championship Manager Italia, mm. which was like the year before, and then then it came through. The first time I was going to actually be on it, I think I'm like 16 at the start, um, <laughs> 97, 98, and um, yeah, it, it was the first time I played it with him, with me in it, and like it just everything kept flashing up like I'd score a goal or do something I mean the first time that I the the game me knocked me the manager on playing the game out of the FA Cup was just so galling I was just horrible um I was I was Tottenham manager and this little upstart playing for Nottingham Forest knocked me out of the FA Cup so yeah it was just awful and then so from then on i made sure i signed me every time just so that that didn't happen and um yeah it was just mad and then the the the, even the following versions like i think cm4 or whatever it was when i was just every time it would just end up with like me and dean ashton up front for england or something and (laughs) it's just it's just nuts really and then it just gets you like this sort of weird type of attention, not genuine football attention, just just really weird attention. It's very, it is strange because Championship managers are quite a good lingua franca. I remember being in, I think I was in Prague and we were speaking to these people from Sweden and we just started talking about Championship manager. I don't know if we, don't know if we mentioned you, but it was like people like Tommy Svindal Larsson and these yeah. players. Mm-hmm. really didn't know much about but from other countries you could just talk to it was it was um so funny i've just got your ratings up here from championship manager 97 98 oh, dribbling yeah. 20 not bad tommy nah, that's all right <laughs> dribbling 20 uh shooting 17 oh yeah uh tackling only four though mate you've got to improve on that <laughs> that's true that's fair enough is it true that or do you know that Apparently, some people that are involved in making Championship Manager were from Cambridge Ray. That's my maybe. Yes, I believe so. On the very first version of the game, there were two imposter players that put themselves into the Cambridge squad. Right. I can't remember their names, but I think, and they played for Cambridge, and then they were very, very good players on the game. Um, but then, yeah, and then it was only a couple of versions later when I, I obviously started appearing on it. And then in my the first year, that 97-98, I mean, you had me and Trevor Benjamin and loads of players that went always from Cambridge to big things on the game. Yeah. But, um, yeah, no, it is kind of weird. I mean, that for, I think, Zlatan, because he's about six months younger than me, he's on that, and no one knew who he was either. Is he? I didn't know that. Yeah. He was playing for Malmo on the first game. Yeah. And he's about 16 as well. You know, he's like stupidly young. Um, and there's loads, you know, there were just, it was kind of weird because obviously these days, I, the, the the scouting of it is so forensic. I mean, I think I was just one of the, one of the ones that got away, but there were so many at that time where, you know, you remember these players that a lot of them never even played a league game, but they were absolute championship manager legends. Yeah. So yeah, it is kind of, it is kind of funny. 
I'm yeah. going to go and um, download Championship Manager. I'm going to get you straight up front with Roger Bolly. <laughs> go for it. But it's yeah. been really good talking to you and keep in touch, mate. It's, it's really nice. And um, I'll speak to you again soon. Take care. Okay. Thank you. Cheers. Bye. Um, a little feature we've done midweek on the Twitter for Wallach was just a little funny thing. I noticed that the Euro Millions jackpot was 157 million, just 157. I'm sure we'd all take 1 million at alone, 157. And it's quite a common thing for football fans to sort of fantasize i guess about what you do if you would buy the football club winning that sort of amount probably most sensible people would not buy a football club and they just go and live on a beach somewhere and forget it but uh, as cobblers fans i'm sure we would take a little punt and purchase the club and see what we could do with it um have you guys got any thoughts about what you'd do if you win 157 million i've always had the same thought if i had if i had the power and i think i tweeted it in the week MK Saints has a ring to it and I could see the cobblers <laughs> a bit closer to the centre of town and I'll happily paint every green seat claret. <laughs> and Any Saints fan listening will probably not like that. Centurions in as well from <laughs> out of St Crispin's. We could take yeah, over. So Martin, Martin's plan is actually like a circular one. So basically, if I'm reading it right, Martin wants the Saints to move to Milton Keynes cobblers to move into the gardens and his baseball team the centurions to move into six fields sort of just level it i guess martin and make a baseball diamond absolutely absolutely <laughs> uh case closed that's that discussion done what's the next topic <laughs> i think um i love franklin's gardens as a ground it's got a little terrace at the side you know really not nice. massive... really. yeah so you know i i did suggest that you know it might be a good idea if instead of the never-ending cobbler's land deal if the saints just redeveloped six fields leveled the whole thing build a massive stadium there and then we could move into the gut move into the gardens we could just have a pint in town and just trundle down like the saints fans do but i guess it will never happen but martin when you win 157 million we're straight onto that one okay yeah absolutely absolutely <laughs> i'm seeing martin as some sort of biff tannen style figure after he's got hold of the almanac in uh, Back to the Future 2. <laughs> Converting the top of the express lift tower into some sort of penthouse there. Just watching the town burn. <laughs> in fact, the um, the lift tower actually features in quite a few people's suggestions. So I'll just read out some of the tweeters ones. Um, Adam Clark tweeted that he would hire Rob Page as women's team manager, which <laughs> goes without saying with... <laughs> What Rob Page said about women, you know, women essentially. Um, he would build a giant North Stand up the bank, which is quite a popular suggestion. Um, whilst renaming the East Stand, the Cardoza Stand, and leaving it exactly how it is. <laughs> and then he would build a giant Clarence over and around the express lift tower, a bit like Godzilla. Now that's pretty cool. <laughs> and uh, he tweeted. Towering over us, holding a giant rotating pizza. <laughs> that seems to be good enough as any a uh, use of the 157 million. Um, Cobbler's Ed tweeted us to say that he would turn the bank behind the goal into a 120 foot high curver terrace. You're welcome. So essentially the yellow wall of Northampton built into the uh, bank. I think that's pretty cool. Um, Jake Sharp, the radio, uh, BBC Radio Northampton presenter, tweeted us to say he'd replace the east stand with a lift tower. Oh, sorry, he'd replace the east stand with the lift tower and viewing windows all the way up. It's quite a long <laughs> way away from the pitch. <laughs> not, not if you're playing Keith Kelbel. 
Ah, uh, very true. That would be very good for Keith Gilmore. <laughs> It'd be about high um, level for people at the top. Yeah, exactly. And he would um, re, uh, build a life-size recreation of Abdul Osman silencing the cop with Abdul on retainer for every home game to bury the penalty. <laughs> I think that would work quite well. Do you reckon, James? Just keep Abdul Osman just for every penalty and nothing else. Bring him on. <laughs> We considering his human rights. <laughs> uh, this is football, James. Are you crazy? <laughs> and uh, lastly, Jake tweeted us. Oh, and probably a training ground, which for cobbler seems to be some sort of afterthought. You know, where are we going to trade our whatever? Just do it in a pub car park. So um, that was a good one from Jake. Uh, what other ones we've got? Uh, Man at CNA, which is Phil Garlic. He tweeted us. Buy Hildeberto Pereira out of his Chinese contract and make him manager. Um, appoint John Hodge as his assistant. Well, I'd go for that. John Hodge, what a legend. And construct an aqua park with pitch views and in- integrate a velodrome beer keller. Now, that is uh, pretty highbrow. I reckon that would work pretty well. <laughs> uh, who else have we got? We've got Quick Whittington. He said, firstly, put 157 million single on Ipswich v Cobblers, both teams not to score. In fact, this was done before the game. And if he'd have done that, he would have been a rich, very even richer man. He would have uh, doubled his money probably. And then he would create a statue of Cardoza, which gets melted at the start of each game. <laughs> I did like this one. Very good. And uh, he'd build a pub on each corner of Sixfields and reconstruct the hotel end. So that's a bit like Brentford and uh, you know the county ground mixed together. And uh, he'd invest in youth human cloning and have 11 Akin Fenwars. Do you reckon that's got um, legs, Martin? 11 Akin Fenwars? <laughs> Um, I'd imagine cert- certain managers in recent times who might be able to do something with that can't see it happening um, too much uh, under the current regime, however long it lasts. <laughs> the thing is, that, sort um, of, that sort of mus- muscular sort of thing, I'd, ima- I'd imagine you know, this, you could come up with a strategy for that. <laughs> Andy, can you actually re- imagine 11 Akin Fenwars on the pitch? I'm not sure it's the most sort of mobile team, do you reckon, Andy? No, it's you know you've you've beaten the opposition in the um, the dressing room though, haven't you? You know, in terms of the intimidation of it. But no, no, it's not going to be the most mobile team out, is it? <laughs> KFC's <laughs> earnings would go through the roof. Not KFC. It's it's Nando. Sorry, Nando's, Nando's. That's it. I thought Boothroyd <laughs> said there was KFC buckets in his car. Wasn't there at the opening? Open if, or something like if that. If you love your chicken, you love your chicken. He did. It doesn't matter I, whether I it's peri peri or southern fried. Exactly. Yeah, Akin Femwa got sort of irate. He's getting irate because, you know, who would thought, you know, who the hell is to say that I'm eating sort of fast food? But he was actually annoyed that the uh, Boothroyd had said he'd eaten KFC instead of Nando's, which was quite funny. <laughs> um, Judgmental people around. I'm not going to judge any man for having KFC buckets in the, in the footwell of his car or, ta- or Taco Bell wrappers or Big Mac mailboxes or anything. Definitely never happens to to any vehicle I've owned. Never. <laughs> Taco Bell. That's really nice. That's a six hours as well. But um, yeah, so 11 Akin Fenway is probably not the most mobile, but um, they're going to score you quite a lot of goals. So that was quite a good one. Um, Tom Rostance, Mr. BBC, works for the BBC. This made me laugh. He 
it's probably quite a sort of method to the madness because I often go past the old bus station, Greyfriars bus station, and think, God, it'd be great if there was a Cobblers stadium there, but probably too small, really. But he tweeted us to say, relocate to the county ground or left field option, stick a ground where the bus station used to be. And he would call it the mouth of hell stadium. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely brilliant. Incorporate that um, that colossal sort of, is it Northampton House, that big office sort of facade? Yeah, do you yeah. know what I mean? Which mm. you, you know, house. make it like the you know the the bombonera with um, you yeah. can build build up rather than out. Yeah, exactly. So you I could mean, turn like bit. that, like the old Atletico Madrid stadium. So the road would would remain. You could have the stands arching over the the roadway. Yeah. Um, and you know, just yeah, an all-in-one footballing centre in the middle of, I mean we'd all love a town town centre stadium wouldn't we I mean talking about the Saints there it'd be brilliant miss those yeah and you could um do you remember that old do you remember when you used to go down in the Grosvenor centre you used to go down to the bottom bit it used to take you to the bus station and you used to go up through that yeah escalator into this like really weird gloomy um and brutalist sort of uh, building you could and those underpasses that went here and there and everywhere you could like reinstate those bus passes that sort of underpasses take you through into the ground sort of a 1970s yeah, thing coming together cool. yep yeah, so well done tom we're gonna when we win 157 million that is definitely on the cards uh and uh, we're gonna have andy as the architect he seems to know what he's talking about so that was a good one uh what else have we got oh yeah so andy bodfish i don't know who he is but some guy called andy bodfish tweeted us to say that he wanted to secure the services of lionel messi for one whole year then buy a big mac meal large in, in uh brackets with the change Andy, are you still keen on that lionel messi for a year oh, yeah, but i'd like to tweak that slightly and make it a taco bell thinking about it <laughs> <laughs> Other fast food is available. But yeah, to see Messi at Cobblers, man. We get excited when we sign some sort of... I think we probably got excited when we signed Siam Bolger. So if we ever signed someone like Messi, I reckon there'll be some spontaneous combustions going on in Northampton. It just wouldn't wouldn't work, I don't think. So uh, yeah, that was a good one from Andy. Uh, who else have we got? We've got Brian Hayward tweeted us. He wants to finish the East Stand, but just as one giant executive box with a single armchair on a plinth overlooking the centre spot. So that's a grand design if ever I heard one. He wants water slides down the bank. Teams and substitutions decided by Twitter polls. Oh, and a new training ground. So he's another one with a training ground as a sort of an afterthought. My sort of dream would be sort of similar to Tom's because he was talking about going back to the county ground, but... I reckon we should just, if we win it, rebuild the county ground brick by brick, sort of an exact replica. You know, I reckon that would that'd be amazing. And my manager I'd bring in would be Ronaldinho. Can you imagine that, Andy Ronaldinho, back at the uh, old new county ground? <laughs> that would be that would be interesting. That would be very funny indeed. Do you reckon the there's probably the space for it is all still there, I should think. I just think the cricket built over it. Just knock down that training thing, wherever they've got, that indoor centre. Put the pitch back. I'm not sure I'd recreate the toilets back at the county ground, Martin, during for them. Pretty oh, pretty horrible. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah they, they, they were legendary, weren't they, behind, behind the hotel end? And I think I saw something um, Jimmy Sewell's love child, I think, might have tweeted something about terrible football toilets and I recognise the claret paint. <laughs> would, you, would, you, uh, would you restore the no swearing sign? 
Oh, oh definitely. Just I didn't even of... go to the county ground and I know about this sign. <laughs> yeah. the nose, I, I, in fact, I'd get Tony Ansel back as well, Andy. Get Tony Ansel back. He'd have to give up his gig at the um, Abington Park Cafe or just, you know, expand on it. Get those tea huts back. I don't know if I'd build that main stand. Was anyone old enough to remember the main stand? Were you going in those days, Martin, or was it knocked out? Or was it like um, condemned well, by that point? My first game was on, I had to go back because I knew who it was against. So I had to go back on Google and work out football results. So my first game, I think, was late eight, eight in the eight, October 83, I think it was. Yeah. Which I think was prior to the Bradford fire, which would oh, okay. have been when the main stand was pulled down. So I think mm. I was there in the hotel end as a 10 year old. Um, with the main stand, but all my recollections were with the Meccano stand. Yeah, yeah, I remember that was sort of my time as well. But I, yeah, I'd probably create some sort of new main stand down that side bit, but just Perhaps to be able to say, we could save the east stand and stick it on there. <laughs> yeah. Air lifted over. <laughs> but I'd, I'd recreate the Spy on Cop as well. That would definitely have no roof on it because what's the point of roofs on stands? It's just like a bit too much. Superfluous. So you make it go all the way across the pitch because the, sp- uh, the Spy on Cop ended uh, halfway, didn't it? Would the bowl, would the bowls club be all right with that? As I, they all, <laughs> as a, the old setup there, wasn't it? It was. <clears throat> It was like a, a triumvirate of um, groups that had a say on what could be done there. The football club had one vote. Cricket club had one vote. And I'll fine with kind of that because, you know, good cricket club. And the bowls club did, which is like <laughs> me and my mates down at the pub having a vote. <laughs> outrageous. I like looking at the videos of the county ground, especially that one. I know Andy's, well, you've probably all seen it. The one of um, that last game at the county ground where F&E lad sets up uh, Kevin Wilkin, wasn't it? And when the goal goes in, you can see a guy that's playing bowls celebrating. Do you remember that video? <laughs> Pretty cool. So, yeah, I reckon there's, there's obviously two options. If There's actually three options. First option is the Mouth of Hell Stadium if we win the lottery. The second one is recreating the county ground. And the third one is just finally sorting out Derek Bance's vision for the Ski Slope Stadium at Brat Mills, Andy? Do you reckon that's a, good, that's, that's a goer? Well, yeah, I mean, just made sense, didn't it? Back in the day, mm. yeah. Mm. Ski Slope behind the um, behind the relocated to be on cop. It would be <laughs> a beautiful thing, yeah. I reckon, actually, you've actually, have you actually been to this one? I reckon instead of a ski slope, it should be a ski jump. I think there is a ski jump stadium, isn't there, in the world somewhere? Yeah, I've been to one. That was where the um, that was the Winter Olympic ski jump in 2018. Double the you know the runoff area doubled in the summer as the pitch for Gangnam FC. <laughs> the, the the stand down the side obviously greeting your ski jumpers and when the sun comes out and the snow melts, it's um, the stand for the side of the pitch. Yeah, in my vision that'll be how the players enter the pitch, Andy. Yeah. Down the ski slope. <laughs> it's... <laughs> It's some sort of red arrow style formation. Yeah, we lost a little, lot of razzmatazz from football. Do you remember Leeds United used to have the names on the back of the tracksuits? You don't get anything like yeah. that anymore. So going down the ski slope, jumping onto the pitch, it might create some life-changing injuries, but you know, you know, this is my <laughs> club, so just get on with it. <laughs> but um, we've had some really good ones, and thanks for that. We're all still live, living in hope. I, my um partner said to me she said oh we've won we've won the lottery and I was like how much she said four pounds 40 so I was like oh god save me for another year get buying the cobblers but um, oh, yeah, yeah. Thanks for everyone that... and already then say it again 
he got the east stand sorted then yeah got the rest <laughs> yeah we've got the east stand sorted out now we just need we just need a few more numbers and we'll finish the rest but um yeah so we have some really good ones sent in as usual i can't read them all out but um thanks for everyone that joined in that little uh idea for this week um let's move on finally to the cobblers a to z to answer the letter t we had some good ones last week for um letter s and we're on to t this week um has anyone quickly before we go on to the readers ones has anyone got a t that's um bearing through their soul to tell us tony ansel <laughs> yes tony ansel it's just strange how he's so connected to northampton isn't he and weren't you a bit of a connoisseur because i remember i saw you on twitter andy having a bit of a not an argument but someone said to you they were eating a burger from tony ansel and you said no 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 you don't eat a burger from tony ansel you have something else no mate you have the hot dog with fried onions <laughs> it's intri- intricately linked into all my memories of that whole time growing up and going to the county ground and i think it was um, deborah marshall who contributed to to that chat or it might have been one of the others but when i read the comment i thought yes i totally forgot about it but you used to get massive wagon wheels uh, <laughs> seriously some sort of special edition wagon wheel that tony Anton used to sell and the moment i read it i was like yes i totally remember that my mate used to get those as you know as i ordered the hot dog with sauteed onions you know uh, the connoisseur's choice for me like going to a football match that smell of fried onions is part of it. And if you haven't got that, it doesn't feel as authentic. Do you know what I mean? Like as you're walking up. Yeah, totally. Yeah, part of mm. it. You know, and yeah, assault that, on the senses. That, that, that fried onions, fast food, that, and Ansel was, you know, I still, I'm thinking back to the county ground and that's what football smells like. Yeah. Horse shit as well. Piss. <laughs> 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 Horseshit from the mounted police and piss, yeah, especially at the county grounds. Uh, oh, it's so true. In the middle of the road. Yeah. I remember that walk up the Abington Avenue. If it was a big game, there would be a sort of a couple of police forces and stuff. And we've seen the pictures of big games like Cardiff in the 80s and stuff where there's queuing down the road. But yeah, that was that was sort of the thing that's lost a little bit now. With Everyone's on their Ponzi pies at football now, aren't they? Uh, you know, bolty pies and stuff like that. It's all a bit, yeah, sort of a bit middle class. But yeah, so Tony Ansel was a good one, an intrinsic part of that 80s or 90s experience as well. Um, A.D. Richards, dad of the Milky Bar Kid. Now that's a story from last week, the Milky Bar Kid incident with um, Billy Stewart. <laughs> so it was A.D. Richards' son that got called the Milky Bar Kid by Billy Stewart. He's tweeted us saying... One from back in the 80s, I think, A.D. Thorpe, who Martin and Andy might have heard of or remember. Yeah, I remember him. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure he's a winger. Little guy, yeah. Martin can probably verify or um, knock that on the head. Little guy with a tash. Yeah, I was going to say the tash. Yeah, he was a, he was a left winger with a tash. Um, exactly and down, does it, for that era? To be yeah. No, no, it doesn't we could be talking about Francis Benali, I suppose. Yeah, so A.D. Thorpe, um, A.D. Richards, they've both got the same first name. A.D. Richards tweeted us that A.D. Thorpe, upon leaving us, went to play for a team in Hong Kong called Instant Dict. (laughs) (laughs) And if you look at Wikipedia, that is apparently true. There's a team in Hong Kong called Instant Dict. It does sound like another Tom made up one for Martin, doesn't it, Martin? 
<laughs> yeah, you'd absolutely expect that to be to be made up, but yeah, he he did indeed go go over there to um earn a few quid towards the back end of his career. Oh, they've they've changed their name now. This is getting even sillier. They've gone from instant dict to they changed their name. So I'm Wikipedia in it now. It's a Hong Kong football club. The club was very successful in the nineties under the name Instant Dict, but now they're called Double Flower FC. <laughs> you would assume that's a sponsorship thing. <laughs> from instant dick to double flower yeah the, the instant dick like local so they don't like it they still they still call it original name <laughs> but listen guys we better wrap up now because we've been blabbering on for ages as usual i'm off to build my uh, replica of the county ground out of lego perfect my tony ansel hot dog menu and uh, we'll speak again next week guys take it easy we'll do speak soon guys Bye. see you later guys see you later Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.